Well, I am uh, excited to be here. Just got a few announcements for you this morning. First off, thank you so much for being a part with uh, Life Action this past week. What an incredible time. And you know, the Westabees are still here, and they're coming in the door right there. Let's let them know how thankful we are. I don't know how often when you're coming in, everybody's like, you know, cheering for you. Um, you say, why are they still here? Well, they're still here because they've taken a week off, uh, and so they're spending time in Mobile, Alabama. No better place, right? And so they're here with us today in our time of worship. So, I wanted to tell everybody that, that we had gotten a trailer, and that was going to be our new, uh, uh, where Leslie and I and the kids were all going to stay from now on, but uh, Leslie told me no. So, anyways... I also want to share with you that if you see some of our younger kids in today, um, what we are doing now is whenever we have five Sundays in a month, which is only about four times a year, our young kids that have, uh, I think, first grade, second grade, that they are coming in with us on the fifth Sunday of each month. And so they will be a part so that they can kind of learn and understand and see. Uh, Melanie has done such a great job. She's given them these little... uh, what do you call it? It's a clipboard, but inside they have different things for them to be able to write notes and color notes. My favorite part about it, they have a snack on the inside. And so I am going to make sure that I keep this one uh, in case we go long today. I will have a snack. Um, if you are a, uh, a kiddo that, that has not gotten one of these, you can get them from the uh, table out here, the kids table over here on this side. I'd love for you to have that to be able to follow along as well. I do have some announcements other than just having a snack. Um, and that is that our disaster relief training for the Mobile Baptist, uh, part of the Alabama Baptist, uh, will be here at Luke 418, February 9th, 10th, and 11th. Uh, love for you to come and be a part with us, that you would be trained. You say, David, do I have to come every night? Well, it depends on which track or which training that you're going to be a part of. If you are training for mass feeding, it's only one night and you'll be trained. Uh, If you're training for the chainsaw group, which I'm not allowed to, um, they have told me no. Uh, So... But that one's more than just one night. Each one is a different amount of time. You can find all of that out on the website, or you can go to the Go table or speak with Brother Randy. We would love for you to come there and be here with us. There's never going to be a time that it's more convenient than right now because it's here at Luke 418 Fellowship. So you can come and be a part with us. We also have our Grand Monday night coming up on February 9th in the youth room, 630 to 730. Uh, Put that on your calendar. It's a wonderful time of community, of pouring into one another, uh, keeping each other accountable, and this idea of pouring into the grandkids in your life. Another thing that I want you to put down on your calendar, as we shared with you about life action coming, and we asked you to, to clear the schedule, as best as you can, I want you to know that on Saturday, February 25th, and Sunday, February 26th, we are having our missions uh, global weekend. And we would love for you to come and be a part of the missions conference here. Brother Al Jackson will be preaching again on that Sunday morning. We're going to have people from different partnerships that come and speak. And on Wednesday night, we're going to be sharing about local partnerships that we have here in Mobile. But on Saturday, February 25th, there's going to be a missions dinner with Al Jackson speaking as well. And we would love for you to be a part You can get information in that from the Go Table. Speak to Brother Randy as well. I have 
One more announcement. Um, and I just wanted to share with you this Wednesday, I will not be here. Brother Oliver will be preaching on Wednesday night. And I ask you to be praying for us, Leslie and uh, myself, Leslie and me, uh, we, or Leslie and I is how I need to say that. Um, we have been invited to the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C., and we are going with Jerry Carl, Congressman Carl, and we are just so honored and excited. And I just ask that you be praying for us as we leave Tuesday night, and we'll be back uh, right afterwards, Thursday, Friday. But be praying for us, and, and I just want you to know, as much as this is a great honor, um, Brother Fred had the opportunity to go before, and as much as it's a great honor, the greatest honor of all is to be able to stand up here and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm so thankful for each of you and thankful for, for all that God has done in the days um, this past week. And, and I just look forward to what God's going to do in the days to come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, you are so good and we praise your holy name. Father, I am desperately dependent on you for all things. And Lord, I, I pray that you would speak in and through us today. For your word will not return void. Mine will, but yours will not. It will accomplish all that it was set out to do. Father, I thank you for what you have been doing in the life of Luke 4.18 over the last week through life action and, and even the 21 days of prayer and fasting previous to that. And so, Father, we long to, to know you intimately, to grow in you daily, and to go in you throughout the world. Today, we want nothing more than your name to be glorified in this place. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. Why don't you stand, say hi to somebody next to you as we praise the Father together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things and his compassions never fail it says in lamentations 322 the lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease for his compassions never fail they are new every morning do you believe that amen. for great is your faithfulness amen for your mercy never fails me I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head 
But now 
The Lord has promised. The Lord has promised to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as I seated as we continue in worship today. The renewal that we had last week was such a blessing. We asked God to give us our next step, the next step in the process of sanctification, of us doing what He wants us to do. We asked Him to remove idols in our lives, to renew relationships, and also to lead us with His Holy Spirit. I pray pray that we do not step away from that this week, but that we continue in what we learned and what we experienced so that we can make room and do whatever He wants us to do today.
And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to, and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray today that there would be nothing in between you and us. That we would ask what you'd have us to do and we say, here am I. Send me today. I pray that we would recognize the way that you are changing us and molding us and shaping us into the body of Christ today. I pray that we would move forward knowing that we are running this race and this race has an end. And that end is Jesus. We know that we will see Him face to face. And our only response will be, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And as we walk this road, we know that You are right there beside us. We pray that we would move in the Holy Spirit in the way that He'd lead us to conversations, to actions, to Scriptures that will mold and shape us today. We love You. We say today, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen. Hear the cries of the shackled from the onset of time for the chains of defeat there's no key see the tears of the broken the cries of the slaves is there no one worthy to set us free then the crying is stilled as the chorus rings out the shackled from their chains and thousands of voices are swelling the song worthy the lamb that was
and then the last two songs that we just sang I don't know where to go from here but praise God that he gives us a word and he gives us truth and he tells us and leads us if you have your Bibles and I hope you do open up to John chapter 4 you may recognize that from our time with life action I'm not going to re-preach the messages that were spoken over the last week But as I sought the Lord over these last few days and told you Wednesday night, I don't know where to go. I can't tell you how many people told me that they were praying for me, but how excited they were that I didn't know where I was going. (laughs) I don't know how to take that. But today we're going to look at a few things in John chapter 4, but really... As I believe Danny said in the back, David gave me Genesis to Revelation for us to look at today. So there's a lot of scripture. If you can't write it down as fast as I speak it, listen quicker. Or you can go back and you can look at it online. 
as the Lord has placed so much on my heart. You know, over the last few days, I've just been pondering over throughout the scripture of when the glory of God fell down on a people. Because I truly believe that the glory of God has been upon the people throughout the last few days here at Luke 4.18. And so I want to look at some of those things. I want to start by asking this question. Is there ever a time in your life where there was a achievement or something that happened that you were so excited about that you had to tell people about? Some moment in your life, for those who are grandparents in the room, it may be things your grandchildren have done, or even your children. But has there ever been that time where you're like, man, i got to tell everybody about this. i got to let them know. You know, for me, many of you know that, that moment in my life. There's several moments, but the one that just keeps coming back to my mind was over 11, almost 12 years ago. When the Lord healed me from a non-curable progressive disease. For those who are new in this room who have never heard the story, I'd be happy to share with you. Uh, But I'll never forget how excited I was over 11 years ago about the Sunday morning that I was going to share with the church about how God healed me. Brother Fred even told me, he said, now David, I'm excited, but you can't do that on a Sunday I'm not here. And I remember the excitement. And even in the last 11 and a half years, I still have excitement of sharing the story of what took place. Had an opportunity just this week to share with Ryan from Life Action about what God did on that day. But you know, in this passage in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman gets so excited about what's happened that she runs back to tell everybody. If you remember, Ryan shared about how she came at noon to get water from the well because nobody else would be there in the heat of the day. Probably walked there in her shame and in her pain. But she ran back to the people after she had an encounter with God. Today, I want to take one last look at this passage. I want to see what happened Last week and and relate it to to here and throughout the scripture of when God's glory fell down on a people. So if you have your Bibles, and as I said, I hope you do, let's pick up in verse 26. If you weren't here this past week, I challenge you to go and listen to the messages online. As Ryan and the Life Action team unpack the story of the woman at the well. It says in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, let me just give you a quick just understanding. Jesus has said, if you knew who I was, I would give you, you would ask me for water and I would give you living water. You would not thirst any longer. And she said, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And he said, I am who you are speaking to. That Messiah, that's me. In verse 27, at this point, the disciples came back and they were amazed that he had been speaking with this woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and she went into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city 
And they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not know? Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields and that they are as white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for, etern- for life eternal. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We give you all glory. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we may stand upon. Now, Holy Spirit, we recognize that we are dependent upon you to illuminate the pages for us to understand, to place into our hearts and walk in obedience. Father, I thank you for what you are doing in the lives of Luke 4.18. And I pray, Father, that we would continue to have our eyes open spiritually to see you at work. And Father, may we join in what you're doing, not ask you to join us in our doing, but may we join you in what you're doing today. So Father, we love you and we praise your holy name. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we look back on this story, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, we were reminded of what Ryan shared, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Because it was the will of the Father for him to go through. Why? Because he had an appointment with this lady. Now, in this moment, in this story, the lady goes back and shares. What is she going back to share? The first thing I want us to be reminded and to see is that she saw herself in light of the Messiah. She saw herself in light of the Messiah. Though this may be a scary sight, think about it. A sinner in the sight of the great I Am, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. But she recognized that she had nothing to bring but the baggage and the shame of her life. But she also recognized that in Jesus, He offered her living water and forgiveness of her sins. Previous to this moment, she had always seen herself in the light of everyone around her. And now she sees herself in light of the Messiah. Church, I believe that this past week, we were able to have our spiritual eyes open to see ourselves in light of who God is. What happens when, when people see God for who He is? We become real small. It's no longer about us and our preferences and our opinions. It's all about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Can I take you on a quick journey of times where people saw themselves in light of God and His glory and His glory fell upon the people? Real quickly in 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3. 
The Shekinah glory of God falls down on the people when Solomon is dedicating the temple. And it says this, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. It says the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. It says, all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their face to the ground and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. Church, you want to know what takes place when people see themselves in light of who God is? They fall on their face in humility before God. What about Matthew 17? In Matthew 17, there's the transfiguration that takes place. And in that moment, what happened to uh, the disciples that were with him? But they fell on their face before the holiness and the glory of God. What about Ezekiel in the Old Testament? He sees uh, the Lord high and lifted up. He has this, this, this view of God's glory. And look at what it says in Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. As the appearance, or excuse me, in verse 28, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Church, what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? He's going on the way to persecute believers and the light of God shines. And in that moment, what happened? But he fell on his face in humility before God. Church, when we truly view ourselves in light of who God is, I believe that there is no other response but humility before the great I am and the King of Kings. Let me remind you, we have nothing to bring but the sin that separated us from God. And He brings through the finished work of Jesus Christ salvation and redemption. He clothes us with the righteousness of His Son. Church, what do we do in in light of who God is when He shows up? Which He's always here. The question is, will we see Him? Will we see Him as the infinite God that has no creation? He literally was never created. He's infinite. You know how I know? Colossians tells us in 1.17. It says this in Colossians 1 verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's before all things. I know that makes your head hurt thinking that there was no beginning to God. But praise God, we serve a God that's bigger than our understanding and our mind can comprehend. He's not just infinite, he's all powerful. Psalms tells us in 147.5, it says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Church, when we view God as infinite, all-powerful, and not only that, but He's the Creator. From His mouth, He spoke and light happened. From His mouth, He spoke and earth happened. I know that there's all these other ideas out there floating around uh, in our science books and all that stuff. But let me tell you, I've got the book, the Word of God. And it says He spoke and earth happened. Church, He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Psalm 139, what does it say in Psalm 139? It says that before there's even a word on my tongue, He knows it. Listen, it says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts through the bone and marrow, and what? It lays bare. All is laid bare before him. Why? Because God knows all things. 
Not only does he know all things, not only is he infinite, not only is he all-powerful, not only is he creator God, but he's everywhere. Psalm 139, where can I go that he's not there? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? But church, what about Revelation 4.8? He's holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It continues on throughout Revelation 4. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Church, what is our view when we see God's glory? That he's infinite, all-powerful, creator, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's holy. Let me tell you, it's not, hey, Lord, let, I want you to get on my agenda. It's not, hey, Lord, uh, I got these great things I'm going to do for you. No, it's falling on our face as we saw when the Shekinah glory fell down. As we saw Saul fall on his face. As we see Ezekiel fall on his face. As we see the disciples at the transfiguration. There is humility when we view ourselves in comparison to our God and who He is. But can I tell you that when we truly see God for who He is and He calls us by name, Can I tell you that it's easy for us to let go of all the things around us? It's easy for us, and we have no reservations to lay our life before Him when we see that He's all-powerful, King of kings, great I am, provider, protector, I can go on and on. It's real easy for us to, to lay our life down before Him. We get focused on His kingdom because we see that His kingdom is all that matters. We get focused on His plans because we see that His plans are what matters, their eternal significance. We don't worry about the temporal things of life. We're not concerned about the comforts and the prosperity and our dreams and our preferences and our opinions. No, we are concerned about His glory being shown throughout this earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Church, I believe that this past week, Just as the woman at the well had a moment where she recognized who she was in view of the Messiah, I believe this week that our spiritual eyes were open to see a glimpse. Just a glimpse, because I'm telling you, the scripture even speaks of this, that we can't fully look on His glory. Just a glimpse of who our God is. And you know what we saw in this place? Was humility. Brokenness. Crying out to God. Isn't it amazing that the God that I just spoke of, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, He loves you. He cares for you. He has grace and mercy towards you. He loves you so much that He allowed His Son to go to the cross so that you could be in relationship with Him. The second thing that we saw was that the woman at the well had a transformation. We saw the cleansing of this woman in the fact that she laid her water pot down. She left it there and ran back. Why? Because she was not concerned about what people think anymore. Because she had been forgiven. She encountered the Messiah. And let me tell you, church, we saw that on on Sunday night as we took and, and laid down idols We wrote out things in our lives that that we desired more than God. 
stuff, traditions, preferences. Listen, that's why I asked Aaron to sing that song today about uh, make room. It says, shake up the ground of my tradition. And it it calls us to, to, to lay down the religion in our life. Why? Because we need to come into this place expecting to meet with God, not to say, okay, this is the timeline. This is how we do it. This is what needs to happen. It needs to be like this. No, when God shows up or when he's moving and our eyes are open to that, listen, we don't tell God, here is the schedule. So we laid those things down, church. When the glory of God is upon a people, I'm telling you, there is a cleansing that's taken place. You know, in John 15, we see this idea of, of the vine and the, the branches and the vine. But do you know in verse 1, it speaks about God the Father being the vine dresser? Do you realize that it also speaks about how God the Father does a pruning? Church. You prune things so that it removes the stuff that is dead so that the thing that is alive can get the nutrition and something else isn't taking it away or stealing it from it. It says that God, the Father, is doing a pruning. And let me tell you, when the glory of God falls, let me, the, the cleansing begins to take place within the church. I'm reminded of the example that God gave me a long time ago, and I've shared it with you multiple times. I'll share it again today, but... For me, this idea of, of putting into word picture, this idea of salvation and sanctification is like when you first come to know Jesus, your eyes are opened and, and you're in this like tunnel and you can see down the way and you see the light, it's shining. It's so beautiful. Because your eyes have been opened, that's that point of salvation. But then we start to take steps towards that light. That's that sanctification process, getting closer and closer to the light. But can I tell you, church, the closer we get to the light, the more it shows the junk in our life. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we see the the flesh in us. Search me and know me, O Lord. Show me anything in my life, Psalm 139. But can I tell you that the closer that we get to the light, not only is it more that the Lord shows us, but as we remove that, the more of the reflection of the light off of us. Church, we're called to be growing in Christ. And we saw that with all the people crushing those cups. If you were here, you understand what I'm talking about. But we wrote idols on these cups and we crushed them up here. And God has cleansed us as it says that he's faithful to forgive us and to to cleanse us. Can I tell you that when the glory of God shows up on people, we see that in the scripture? What about Isaiah 6? What does it say in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7? But Isaiah saw the Lord, and when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said what? Woe is me, a man of unclean lips. The seraphim then comes over with a coal and touches his lips. I'm telling you, I've thought about this many times, but that had to be painful. Had to be painful. I remember one time at a youth camp and this kid was making a, uh, uh, a s'more. I can't eat them now, so I forget the name because they have gluten in them. But anyways, he was eating a s'more and, well, he was like getting the, the roast and that marshmallow and it caught on fire. You know, like all of a sudden he has a torch, right? Well, he goes to blow it out, but when he blew it out, guess what happened? It touched his lips. Do you know that marshmallow that's on fire is also like melted? So guess what happens? It stuck to him. I have never seen a student in the spirit like that. (laughs) Jumping around. Oh, oh, and I was like, what's going on? I can't even interpret what you're saying. And he was in such pain. 
Church, that cleansing process is often painful, but it yields the fruit of righteousness. God shows us things in our life, not that we would be condemned by the enemy, but that we would repent and look more like his son, Jesus. In Isaiah 6, he said, woe is me, because he had seen the Lord. What about Acts 9? In Acts 9, with Saul, right, on the road to Damascus, you think there was a cleansing process in Saul? It doesn't speak specifically of, hey, this is exactly what happened, but I can tell you one thing. He was dead, now he's alive with the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. He changed directions. He was no longer persecuting the church. No, now he was focused on the kingdom of God. Church, when when the fire of God, when the glory of God falls down, there is a humbling amongst His people, but there's also a cleansing amongst His people. And can I tell you that cleansing is not a one-week thing. Cleansing is not, hey, we're going to come for a week, life action's going to come, and it's going to be great, we're going to confess our sins. Okay, we did that, now it's time for next week. Because the enemy was meeting some of you right outside the door saying, did you really lay that down? You know that that you didn't really mean that. Church, the cleansing process, the sanctification process is a continual process in the life of a believer. As I say all the time, we are works under construction until we breathe our last breath. If anybody thinks that they have made it, we, we all need to pray for you. Because I'm telling you as your pastor up here that I'm a work under construction. I long for John 3.30 to be that in my life, that he must increase and I must decrease. For Galatians 5.24 to truly be a daily process of my life of crucifying the flesh with its passions and its desires. That Ephesians 4.24 would be the cry of my heart that I'm putting on the new self which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Church, when we see ourselves in light of who God is, we're humbled and there's a cleansing process. The last thing that we need to do is say, thank you, Lord, for showing me all of this in my life, but I'm good. Can you imagine how prideful, how arrogant that would be? But it's a continual daily thing. That's the reason why John 15, 5 tells us that we must abide in Christ and He in us. That when we abide in Him, we can bear much fruit. But when we don't abide in Christ, we can do what? Nothing. You know, it was interesting to me how many times Ryan spoke about abiding. And I did not have a conversation with him previous to it. But you all know that I almost say abiding every single week. Why? Because if you do without abiding, you will build legalism and religion. What we need to do, instead of focus on trying to do more, we need to abide more. Because when you abide in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, I probably missed one, that comes forth from our life because of the Holy Spirit that is within us. But when you do more without abiding, you're working in the flesh. You're trying to do it in your own power and your own strength. But can I tell you, as we see and look upon the cross, 
That there's two beams of the cross. Not only are we growing in and, and being cleansed in our relationship with Christ, but we were also growing and being cleansed in our relationship with one another. Tuesday night, what a powerful night as we came down and, and just prayed over different people. As Ryan brought up the scripture where the Holy Spirit dwells within us and, and we, are, we have uh, wa- refreshing streams of water within us. Are we a refreshing stream for others? Church, let me just remind you that when you recognize and see God in His glory and the glory of God falls, I believe that there is a cleansing and a growing in Christ, but there's also a growing in the community of believers. Over the last, on Tuesday night, we really were reminded of how important community is. I had people tell me that they were literally in tears and could not speak, having sisters and brothers praying over them. Our staff was overwhelmed from every single person on the staff. From the pastor all the way down. All of us standing up here and y'all praying over. What an incredible moment. Praying for those who have prodigals in their life. Church, we're called to be in community together. Jesus is in perfect community with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we're called to reflect His image. And when we reflect the image of Christ, yes, we're in community and relationship with God. But we're in community and relationship with one another. Can I tell you that this past week we saw that. We saw that community by laying of hands on one another and praying. We saw that community by coming here together and worshiping together in spirit and in truth. By being in this room together. See, the enemy wants us to be on an island. The enemy wants us to be on an island thinking that that I'm the only one who deals with this. Or I'm the only one and nobody will understand. Or people will judge me if they knew that I was struggling with this. But Jesus says to confess your sins to one another. Jesus calls us to encourage one another even the more as the days grow evil. Jesus calls us to pray for one another. Jesus calls us to be in community together, church. Can I ask you today, are you in a community group? Are you in a life group here at Luke 4.18? You look around the room, we got over 400 probably in this room. And can I tell you that it's very difficult for 400 people to be in biblical community together? But it's not difficult to be in a life group or a community group to be in biblical community together. And if you are in biblical community, if you're in a life group or a community group, do you live out what we call the six marks of a healthy life group or community group? Remember I've passed this out before? We devote daily, abide in Christ daily, we counsel biblically, we pursue relationally, we live authentically, we admonish faithfully, and we engage missionally. You say, David, I've never seen this. Well, Randy will get you one on the way out. You can have one. May not have 400 here today, but we can print some more. Do we live that out? When the glory of God falls on a people, I'm telling you, we see humility. We see uh, cleansing and growing in Christ. And we also see the growth of a community together. And when I say community, I'm talking about the the born-again believers. Think about Pentecost. What happened? What happened when the fire of God fell down? 
They began to proclaim. Many got saved. And then it says they were in one mind, one, one accord. It says that they were daily what? Praying together. Daily breaking bread together. Fellowship together. When the glory of God falls on people, we see this cleansing and we see this growth in community. But I want to take you back to this passage. It says that one other thing took place. The woman shared with all those around. It says right here in verse 31, excuse me, let me see, let me go back to verse 28. The woman left her water pot and went into the city and said, Come and see the man who told me all the things that I have done. This is the Christ, is it not? This is not the Christ, is it? Basically saying, hey, this is the Christ. It's the Messiah. Can I tell you that all throughout Scripture, when you see the glory of God fall down, there's multiple things. You see some that are falling on their face. We see Isaiah who uh, was cleansed. We see Saul who uh, changed to Paul and was cleansed, uh, also falling on his face. We see Moses taking off his sandals for he was on holy ground. But can I tell you that every time there's one thing that I see consistent is that they couldn't hold it to themselves. They were called to go. Isaiah 6, 8, what did it say? Who will go? And he said, here am I, Lord. Send me. In Ezekiel 2, 3 and 4, after Ezekiel had fallen on his face, he said, get up, I'm going to send you. I'm sending you to the people to take my word to them. In Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, what happened? But immediately he stands up and begins to proclaim the gospel to those around. What about Saul? You think something changed in Saul's life? I love this. Can I just, on the screen, go to Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. I think I gave it to you in the back. And he took food. He was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples. Let me stop here for a second. He, he, had, he was blinded. He had scales on his eyes, right? And then the scales were removed. And then after that, it was three days later, the scales were removed. And then it says this. He took food. He was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in where? Damascus. Remember? Road to Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus. What about the shepherds in the field? The glory of God, right? And what did they do? Let us go quickly. Let us go to see that which has come. The Messiah has been born. Jesus. What about Moses? Moses was called to go to the people. Now, he struggled with it a little bit. Moses said, how am I going to know what to say? How am I going to know how to speak? Lord, do you not realize that, that, that I can't do this? But you know, God tells us not to worry about what we're going to say. To trust him. In this passage, Jesus then goes and, and brings about this great understanding of the harvest. Think about this for a moment. He has just gone to Samaria on a path that would not have been common for the Jewish people. He had just met with a Samaritan woman at noon while his disciples were gone. And his disciples come back and they're like confused. And they say to him in this passage, they say, hey, you need to eat. We went to go get food and you need to eat. And he says to them, my food... Is to do the will of the Father. Look at verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me 
and to accomplish this work. So, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Because it was the Father's will. Because he was in obedience to the Father's will. But not only was it in obedience to the Father's will to go through Samaria, but it was also obedient to the Father's will to speak to the Samaritan woman and offer living water to her. So then he goes into this understanding of exactly what he just did. He said, disciples, look. Look upon the harvest. The harvest is white, ready for harvest. See, I'm here giving living water to this lady because the harvest is now. You're focused on eating and getting food and I'm focused on the Father's will. And then he gives them this this call to go. He says, beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. And then he says this. He says in verse 36, Already he who reaps is receiving a wage and is gathering fruit for eternal, for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. He says, listen, you're missing it, disciples. You're focused on the temporal. I'm focused on the Father's will, which is eternal. I'm focused on the souls of people. And he says, I am doing the Father's will by coming into Samaria and speaking to this lady that she may receive living water. And what does she do? But the Father's will, which is to what? Go and share with those in the town. He says to the disciples, you're missing it. You're missing it. He says, we, the, the harvest is now. And I love how he incorporates the whole body here. He says, some are going to sow and some are going to reap. Can I tell you that we're called to proclaim the gospel? We're called to share with people, but I am not called to save anybody. What I mean by that is that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save a lost soul. I'm not called to be someone's savior because my death upon the cross would not be sufficient for anybody's salvation, much less my own. But I am called to proclaim the good news of the gospel to all those around And as I proclaim the good news, it says the word of God will not return void and it will accomplish that which it was set out to do. Jesus goes through Samaria because he is following the will of the Father. But can I tell you, church, that he's called us, as we saw this past week, to be streams of refreshing water to those around He's called us to take the gospel. And let me tell you, he's not saying, wait till the next mission trip. He's not saying, hey, you know what? The church is going on a mission trip in July, so just wait till July. That's the enemy that says that because it's contrary to God's holy word. God tells us that the harvest is now. God tells us to go and to to sow and to reap the harvest now. So church, as I, as I dwelt on this, some people say, well, David, I'm fearful of what am I going to say? Well, Moses said that and God was very firm with him. But can I tell you, Ezekiel, I love this. Y'all have heard me quote this a few times, paraphrased obviously, but look at what it says in Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4. It says, then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. 
So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and be filled or and fill your body with the scroll which I have given you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey to my mouth. He said, Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my word to them. Church, you say, I'm fearful. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to tell people. Listen, we have God's word and we have your testimony of what God's word has done in your life by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, we're called to go and share with all those around us God's holy word. You see, I truly believe that when the glory of God falls on a people, there is humility, there is growing in Christ and in community together, and there is a renewed sense of urgency to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ all throughout our city. This past week, I believe that we saw the glory of God fall down. Our eyes were open. People were confessing sin. When the scripture was read, y'all were like so excited. I was sitting up front and I was like, man, this is awesome. Because I, I love this word. I can't get enough of it. When we sang songs that spoke of God's glory, you couldn't contain yourself. People were shouting and getting excited, and you're like, David, is this about an emotion? No, it's not about an emotion, it's about the truth. If we try to make some emotion, listen, we're going to be just as bad as legalistic and religion. An emotion will lead you in a path contrary to God's word until you submit your emotion under the authority of Christ. But when you hear that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that he saved your soul, how does it not swell up inside of you? Restore to me the joy of your salvation, oh God. Listen, as we were singing, I heard just, just people like, y'all, y'all, the, the spirit of God was just all over you. I've, I mean, just saw, it was just incredible. At the end, we sing a song called Glorious Day, which is an incredible song with incredible words. And it said in there that I ran out of the grave, right? Basically saying I once was dead, now I'm alive. But the reason we could run out of the grave was because Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. And I'm telling you, when we sing I ran out of that grave, I thought some of y'all were about to sprint around the building. I mean, this place, y'all were saying, hey, God is restoring the joy of my salvation. Let me remind you, it's not about producing an emotion. It's about letting the truth of God swell up inside of you. And when you're washed by the truth of God's word, there is excitement in that. There's also mourning because we're cleansed. There's also a pain of pruning. But there's also a joy in all that God is doing Church, when the word of God was spoken, there was a response with action in your life. Because I believe that the glory of God was being seen. But can I just say this? To God be the glory. It has nothing to do with any group of people singing or even a man speaking. It has everything to do with God's glory. It's all about God. And praise God, he opened his, our eyes to see him high and lifted up. You know, at the very beginning, I shared with you how I love sharing with people about my healing. 
about how I was on all this medicine to be able to survive and, and it required uh, it, it just going to the doctor all the time and it was a progressive non-curable disease and God healed me, praise God, this July will be 12 years. But can I tell you that the greatest healing in my life was when I met Jesus. When His glory fell. And I recognized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. You know, I asked you at the beginning, what are things that you think about that you can't wait to share with people? Let me ask you, are you at that same passion and desire to share with others the proclamation of the gospel? Because the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life, if you're born again, is that you once were dead and now you're alive. Church, as we go from here, are we going to go into our community? Not waiting for the next mission trip, but go into our community and share with people about the glory of God. Are we going to be like the the first church in Acts chapter 2 that when Pentecost came, they got out and went and shared. And it was growing. Why? Not because of them, but because of God and His glory and what He has done through His Son Jesus. I want to close by saying this. I truly believe that if we keep our eyes focused on the glory of God, if we keep our eyes focused and in awe of who He is, that we continue to let the Lord cleanse us daily, I truly believe that we will live out every day. Luke 4.18 Luke 4.18 says this, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right there, you have community. Do you realize that the triune God has spoken in that very first part? Jesus is speaking that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Church, there's community. When we are in awe of the glory of God and falling on our face, there's going to be right relation with God and right relation with one another. We're going to be in community together. Why? Because He has anointed us to preach. It's talking about Jesus. And you say, David, how do we live that out? How do we, how, why do we say that about ourselves? Because God has take, allowed His Son to go to heaven and He's sent the Holy Spirit that we may live out and continue the work of Christ until we breathe our last. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit. That's why it says that He's anointed me. The Spirit has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor church. Isn't it interesting that when we humble ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and work through us, as we walk in community together, that Luke 4.18 calls us to go forth and proclaim, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim the release of the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, verse 19. Church, when our eyes stay on the glory of God, Luke 4.18 will not simply be our name. It will be our life. And everyone around in our city will hear about the glory of God and what's taking place. I pray that as we close today, that we would take this very seriously. Because I was reminded all week to who has been given much, much is required. 
And I know oftentimes we think of finances and material things, but let me tell you, what we have seen this week, God has bestowed upon us, and there is much required from us as we abide to go and share what's happened and what's happening in the lives of believers at Luke 418 Fellowship.